I want to thank you guys for for jumping on here. Um, you know, this is really a continuation of a of a conversation that we had a a, a few weeks ago. Um, when Chris, when you were in town, and I thought it was really good. And really, this is the the second part of a two part series that I'm doing, where I'm I'm just calling it uh, worried optimism because I have a worried optimism um, about what sort of the future holds. And so um, I thought you guys would be good to talk to because you guys have a different perspective than um, what's in the mainstream, and I think it's important um, to consider as many sides of an argument as possible and be um, well informed. So with that being said, I, I think the first thing I, I kind of want to get into is, um, what, what sort of hope do you guys have in terms of what you think the next four years looks like from a, from a Biden administration perspective? Like, what do you hope to see? Because I can tell you that from, some of my friends who are much more liberal than I am or much more progressive than I am, they really hope to see, um, you know, a forward advancement in a lot of different areas. And I'm just really skeptical of that just because I just don't think it's necessarily within, um, within Biden's core being to be super liberal and super pro, uh, progressive. So I'm curious because you guys come from a very different perspective on that. So I'm just curious what you guys think in terms of what you hope to see um, w within the next four years. Well, I think the um, the first thing to look at is that, you know, uh, most people fall into the percentile of not being progressive. You know what I mean? I think most people are in the middle. They're moderate. And I think most people don't fear change going forward. I think we like the idea of becoming, you know, a better country and, and, and a better place to live for all people. And I think we, we all agree with that. And I think that kind of came out over beers and pizza before <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, 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 we solved the world's problems that night over beer and pizza. It's amazing how that works, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I think, um, but at the same time, as a person who leans a little more conservative, keeping in mind I've always been kind of middle of the road on things, is that, you know, when you see somebody in a short term all of a sudden hack 40 or 50 things that, that we're going, what are you doing here? You know, why are you moving so quickly to change all this that, you know, it's almost like it's being force fed to people. And I don't think people react well to that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good I think that's a good point. And I think. Um... There is, I know I am, as I get older, I don't, I try not to move as fast on certain things just because I have screwed up so many things in my life by being in a rush. And I think there's something to be said about taking your time and sort of, uh, sort of analyzing what it is that you're doing before you do it. Um, right. I can hear sort of my, my liberal friends in my ear saying, but well, the only thing they're doing is reversing what they thought was wrong to begin with because it wasn't fair and equitable. Um, mm -hmm. So tr in my mind, I'm trying to reconcile, you know, both of those things, because much like you, Joey, I am a, I'm a centrist at heart. Like I'm not right. I, I just don't think you can be liberal or conservative about everything. No, <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree. There's certain things you yeah. need to be conservative about there are certain things you probably should be liberal about and to your larger point i think most people are in that mindset 80 90 percent of the country yeah. is probably in that space but i just yeah. think that our our politics has evolved to a place where it's hyper partisan where it's very tribal 
where you have to pick one side and stick to the dogma no matter what. Yeah. And I personally want to get away from the dogma aspect of it right. and get back yeah. to having a civil conversation like this where we can explore ideas and differences. Yeah. Well, I think piggyback off of that. Um, yeah, I, I think for, for me, like what I've just noticed in my life is, yeah, I think most people, I would say, I mean, I don't have anything back this up or anything, but I would guess that the majority of people want exactly the same things. You know, they want a healthy family. They want a good paying job. They want to <clears throat> be treated with respect. They want to treat other people with respect. Um, I think when I step back and look at like what's happened, like let's say over the last 20 years, let's just say the last 20 years, because uh, it seems like in the last 20 years, things have gotten more inflammatory when it comes to particularly politics, but really anything culture wide. And uh, I think a lot of that, I mean, this is me kind of thinking on a big picture macro kind of level or whatever, but I mean, I, I think truthfully, like as I look back in the last 20 years, I think there was fear that entered into the American psyche. Uh, I think once 9-11 hit, like I think overall like that shook us to the core as a country, like it wasn't expected. We didn't see it coming. And then that just added to like, uh, that created this sense of fear. And then fast forward like six, seven years later, you have the, the uh, you know, social media takes over, becomes a big thing. Now everybody's got opinions and you don't even, you can't even sit down and have a conversation. I can just like type something on my phone and get into an argument, but never really see the humanity in someone else, right? So you add those two things together where social media has brought us together, but it also pushes us into echo chambers. So when you can't sit down and have like a good, honest conversation like you guys were having over pizza and beers. Yeah. That's where that's where stuff used to happen all the time. <laughs> that's where everything like, gets you fixed. Down. Exactly. You sit down, you start having conversations, you recognize like, oh, you may think differently than me on so many things, but yeah, I still love you. I'm, you're my friend. I want to hang out with you. You know, but like we've lost that because we've been pushed into echo chambers. Uh, we're a little more isolated, I think. And then I think overarching all of that is just this fear. And but so but Mike, we, Mike, do you think we're pushed or do you think it's more of confirmation bias? Because I feel like there's there's a little bit of I want to watch something that subconsciously I know that I agree with. Like, I don't want my opinion. Sure challenged or pushed because i already believe that i'm right so it's a bit of confirmation right. bias and don't right. know, i think that's true of 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 the left yeah. and the right i i think it's kind of hard to find news that's down the middle although i will say up front <laughs> almost every single news outlet is coming from a point of view just like yep. every documentary you yep. like is coming from a point of view but yep. I do think if you are down the middle but lean slightly left, you get labeled as liberal. And I don't think that's necessarily correct, especially if I it's fact-based. If it's fact-based, yep. you know what I mean? So, for instance, I'm not saying that the New York Times or Washington Post doesn't have an axe to grind with conservatives. But if they lay the facts out and the facts are what they are and speak for themselves, that doesn't necessarily make you liberal. Now, at the same time – I think if you're like MSNBC or something, I think that's different. I think if you're OAN or Newsmax or Fox, I think that's different. But right. I think sometimes we kind of 
default to the sort of news outlet that confirms what it is that we think we know. And that makes me nervous. And that's why conversations like this are important for us to be able to talk about it from a different point of view without it being so adversarial as if it's some sort of death match. Well, the, well, the problem the problem with the media outlets, really, honestly, the big ones you're talking about is they went away from being a news source to an op ed. So yeah. they're an opinion editorial. Every time you turn around, it's an opinion. It's not telling me the facts and let me choose for myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what's it's happening. Morphed into, it's morphed into entertainment. And I think that's part of the issue is that it's a personality who gets an hour on TV that gets mm-hmm. to the present a particular issue and frame it the way they want to and then it becomes entertainment and they're a personality and then it's a cult of personality and they sell advertising behind it but is that necessary i don't know that that's in our best interest collectively as a people well i think going back to your confirmation bias uh, i agree with you i do think we live in confirmation bias and i think uh part of it is because we are pushed into these echo chambers or we choose to be in these echo chambers, whichever one. Um, and so I think, yeah, absolutely that. But really what you're talking about there, Dennis, is people at the end of the day don't like conflict. Very few people know how to engage in conflict well. But you and I, I think all of us on here would agree with this, conflict actually equals growth. Like when you have conflict with someone in a healthy way, it actually helps take your relationship to, a, to another level. But people usually are just so afraid to, like, be in conflict with someone. It's just easier to choose confirmation bias. Unless they're behind a keyboard, then they think they can fight with anybody. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, but it's Internet tough, guys. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like like you guys said, I I mean, I I have some hope. I have some optimism kind of based on just our our conversation that we had at Gatsby's. I mean, you think – so few people that I know of, you know, um, through social media, through the news, through friends, family, can sit down and have some kind of a political discussion without it getting heated, without it getting immature, without it becoming, you know, us against them. You know, like like you said, we all had different views, different political backgrounds, different opinions. And we're talking Brock Bethel, Chris Copeland, Mookie, or no, not Mookie, Joe Kelly, Dennis Tubbs, and Andre Gale can sit down and have a mature conversation about politics. So, I mean, I feel like if this group of, you know, people who aren't, um, you know, we're not political figures or presidents or anything like this, if we can sit down and do it, I feel like anybody can do it. It's great. Yeah, well, and the thing, but maybe we're trendsetters. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, we're going to bring it back to the 1970s and 80s when things were were a little more simple. So let me ask you guys this: what What do you fear about a Biden administration? What do you hope you don't see, or what's the one thing that might keep you up at night or has you concerned about what the next four years might look like? I mean, for me, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely more Republican. I mean, the, the way that I look at, um, you know, Democrats when, when they're in control of, 
either the president or the house or the Senate or whatever. I, what scares me is, uh, is taxes. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just afraid how much are our taxes going to go up? Um, I, I just, I just feel in general, our country, we, we get, a, there's so many taxes that our federal yep. government gets our state governments and they mismanage it already. Um, I just have a hard time giving them any more. I, I don't, I just don't want to give them any more of my tax dollars. Uh, I would instead, I would love to see, um, then just use the money in a, in a more appropriate way. I mean, I think, you know, uh, to point about, well, I didn't want to interrupt, but I mean, it, it, from a macro standpoint, from a fear macro standpoint, I think to me, it's more about if Joe delivers what he says, which is I'm a moderate middle centric guy, I'm going to be the bridge. I'm going to be all that. That's fantastic. So far, I'm not seeing that, but that's what I want to see. And then my fear is that's not going to happen. And that's my biggest thing. If you look at it from the big, not one particular issue, but the overall issue is that, is he going to be that person? I hope so. That's my hope. I support whoever the president is. Once they're elected, they're my president. And that's the way I've always been. Me, me too. And, and I do think he's going to bring a calming presence with, you know, the racial issues that have gone on. I mean, uh, Trump, he just had no tact. He didn't have any ability to put, those fires out or to calm it down at all. Um, I think Biden will be much more compassionate um, and sympathetic. I think just the person he is, I think he's going to hopefully uh, calm some of those issues, not completely, you know, take care of all of them, but I do think there will be a calming presence from just the type of person he is. No, I would I, I would agree with that. I, I guess my sense of him is he, you can't push him beyond what he's comfortable with because he's too comfortable in his own skin. I, I understand where you're coming from, Chris, on the taxes piece, because I just feel like government in general, and this isn't specific to taxes, but just in general, it, it just feels like government needs like 7,000 black belt, like uh, lean Six Sigma black belts thrown at it to go in and examine all the processes and eliminate the waste. That That's what it feels like, because the idea of giving people more money who historically mismanaged the money, probably you wouldn't do that in any business no. um, at all. So so I, I I agree with that. I tend not to worry about taxes so much in the micro because taxes to me are more focused on um, corporations because really the money in this country at this point sits with billionaires, corporations and churches. That's what that's where the money's at. But I will say, I think, you know, you and Mike live in California. California is a whole different ballgame when it comes to taxes because <laughs> yeah, they are just that is between true. the between the taxes <laughs> and the regulation out there, it's getting to the point like my dad lives in Phoenix. They are seeing a mass exodus of people leaving California, going to Phoenix, to where Phoenix is now gonna be something like five million people in the next ten years. And like they're and Mike, you know this, like I guess it's the the 101 or the 202 is like the equivalent of our 270 here in Columbus. Mm -hmm. Years ago, they were showing me they're building an outer belt outside of that. So imagine a city so big that the outer belt has an outer belt. Like that's wow. how large it's yeah. becoming where you can live 
in a place like Glendale that's 45 minutes from downtown and you're still considered in the greater, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix area, if, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I do think, you know, you can sort of take it too far. Like one of the things that I'm really sort of nervous about is I'm a project manager where I have to handle um, the implementation of new law and new regulation. So I can tell you, I have a bias. The last thing I want is another law or another regulation that I have to implement in in my business. You know what I mean? But you Uh can, and and don't get me wrong, there are times when you need to do that, but you can go overboard with that. And California to me is like a really good example of maybe you guys have gone too far where maybe the intent, you know, the road to hell's paved with good intentions. I know you guys probably meant well, but look at the real practical impact that has on on people's lives and businesses mm-hmm. and everything else. And then Joey, I think to your point, I do think he can be a bridge, but yep. at the same time, when we're talking about unity, cause I keep hearing this term a lot, unity. Yeah. My thought is, is that you can have unity if it's, you don't agree on anything. Like you've got to be able to meet him halfway. So if he offers you an olive branch and you on principle decide not to take it because he's on the other side, don't cut your nose off despite your face, but it takes two. So if he's trying to mm-hmm. work with people and people automatically 86 the idea just because he's a Democrat, then don't say he's not working with you. And I think in the last like three or four months with everything that's happened, it's getting to the point where you just can't keep suggesting to people that they didn't see what it is that they saw. You can't keep insulting people's intelligence. So if he's really reaching out to you and then you automatically shut it down because he plays for the other side, I don't know that that's going to play anymore. And I think the best example of that is these videos they're showing in the middle of this impeachment trial where it's like when you see all this evidence stacked up, it's hard to look people in the face and say, yeah, but I'm going the other way when the evidence is so overwhelming, if that makes sense. Well, let me let me let me say this, though. I think that. um, uh, me, and I think one of the bigger issues is here, we, we were talking about this earlier, is, you know, social media, media, all these things. I remember a point in time that you usually didn't hear as much, you didn't know as much, and you gave that president a hundred days. You didn't nitpick what they did. You didn't nitpick every little detail. We'll see what happens. And that's not happening anymore. It didn't happen to the last two, three presidents. It's like you're literally in office and you're immediately getting attacked and microscopes. And, you know, I mean, I watch the news and I see Biden getting nailed every day on the news, just like Trump did. And I'm like, you know, let the guy at least settle in, see what happens. hundred days from now, we'll have a better feel for where he's at. And nobody's doing that. Yeah, especially yeah. in a pandemic, because I keep hearing that they uh, I saw yesterday or today that they have up the amount of vaccine supply to the states by 28 percent. And that the right. number of people getting vaccinated is almost a million and a half a day. So wow. by those numbers, they should be able to hit 100 million people in 100 days or whatever it is. Right. But it just goes to show you that a lot of the issues that they were having were much more logistical. Mm-hmm. And if you put sort of competent people who um, sort of have a pat like – like, I don't have a passion for transportation, but the person he put in, in charge of transportation has a passion for transportation. I think that's those are the kind of people that you want running these agencies. And when you don't have that, it really sort of shows. 
And um, I think his big litmus test is going to be if he can get people vaccinated and we get like a third of the country done by like April and then we get another third done by like, say, July 4th, all of a sudden things start to get back to normal. You know, it's going to be hard to all of a sudden stand in front of that Mack truck when he's got all that momentum. When, look, he was able to get us, you know, back to something that that looked and felt like normal. That's 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 what I well. And you know what's interesting about that is I think, you know, just as I don't like seeing him being picked at right now because of coronavirus, because he inherits the situation. I don't just like I didn't like hearing people complain about Trump, who literally busted his butt to try to get these places to develop it. So, I mean, both people did what they could do at the time they had, you know, so now it's the torch is passed off. Let's see what this this guy gets it done and gets us safe. And number one job for the president is to keep us safe. So I think he's doing I think he's doing an okay job. The problem you've had with some of these vaccine situations, it hasn't been the federal level. It's been the states have been mismanaging some of these issues with getting people vaccinated. And that's been part of the problem. Yeah. 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 And I think it shows where certain states don't have enough supply or or they mismanaged it or. Yeah, I right. think that's a good point. Oh, by yeah, the way, well, to, wait a minute. We were talking about taxes and you can make your point here. So we're talking about taxes, boys. May Dennis and I just make a point. You can all move back home. It's cheaper here. Actually, actually, I think I paid about the same amount of taxes. I actually might get more of a return here. It really depends, like what Mike does with his franchises and being a small business owner, you get killed in California here for that. You but, do, you do. But, but as a teacher, um, yeah, I, I I don't really notice any difference. Well, you, you, the tax you pay is in the weather. You you have a 90-day No, that's, that's, you have a 90 day that's exactly what we're paying for. Yeah, yeah. that's... Yeah. Well, not only that, you're paying for the fact you have mountains, you have the Pacific Coast Highway, you've got all kinds of things that are, are you're paying for. And I absolutely get that, but I can visit and see it. Yeah, that's true. You could. You could. Or you literally could just drive an hour and be in snow. And then if you want to go back and surf at the beach in the evening. Yeah. And one day know, I might we've got up, those options. One day I might end up in the ocean because a great massive earthquake happens and I'll be right out in the ocean somewhere. That could happen, too. Can't say it's not a threat. What I've yeah, noticed, that's true. What I've noticed since living out here about the taxes, like you know, the the taxes that come out of my income haven't really been a big difference. But it's all the little things like uh, gas. You know, it's more expensive right. to tax you there. Right. If you if you go to renew your um, uh, your registration each year, that's more. It's all of those little things that adds up. Yeah. 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 It's death by a thousand well, cuts. Well, yeah. The, yeah. the cost of housing too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, how- they definitely. Yeah. I was going to say housing tax alone. I mean, that's obviously a pretty, pretty serious thing here. No, no, actually the housing tax. So in Ohio, you guys pay about 3%, you know, for, for property tax, California, it's about 1%. So it ends up the, you know, the housing out here is about three times the amount. So it ends up being a wash. The amount of property tax that I pay in California was just about the same as Ohio. Yeah, but my point would be is if the house is double the expense to buy it, then <laughs> that's my no. point. I mean, it's not, I'm not no. talking about the tax side of it. I'm talking no. about the house. Yeah. 
Okay, um, I, t I teach math for a living, right? No, I get that. So this is how it works. So the houses in California, they're three times the amount, right? Sure. In California. Right. But our taxes are 1% here. The taxes in Ohio are 3%. So it's three times the amount in Ohio than it is in California. So my point is it's a wash. It ends but, up being, being, being the same. The, I can't see, and, and you're the mathematician here, but I can't see how the property tax on $250,000 at 3% is equivalent to $600,000 at 1% as far as what you're paying in a payment. Yeah, it ends up being the same. So my house, the same payment, the same my 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 house. <laughs> I, I think you, I think you're we, we're giving a math lesson right now. We're doing okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris is doing a math lesson. We're being educated. <laughs> so so my my house. It's like we're back. It's like we're back in B building right now, and I'm getting uh, you, I'm getting taught math classes. <laughs> are you my tutor? Okay, so my my house in Ohio was roughly two hundred thousand, right? So, um, and, and the taxes were. Three percent. So I think that ends up being what six thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Um. So my house in California, six hundred thousand. One percent. Six thousand dollars. It ends up being. It's I'm talking. I'm talking about your payment. I'm not talking about your taxes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. That's you. You were you brought up the point of taxes. That's you're paying more money to live there. But I'm hoping they're compensating you better than you would here. So yeah. you get compensated more. Also, like the house, the houses increase. It goes up quite a bit. Yeah. So well, now now that we're done with the math lesson, which right. I feel very enlightened on. I do. Um, I'm enlightened now. But. <laughs> Uh, going back to a question you asked at the beginning, Dennis, I don't think I, I answered like what what is um, like why am I optimistic uh, about Biden? I, I agree with what what Joey's saying. I think we do need to give him an opportunity and a chance. Uh, I think yeah, but the last few election cycles, to me, um, I think it's hard for the president. I, I mean, like I said, I could be wrong, but when I've watched the last few presidents, Trump, Obama. Uh, even Bush on some level, like it's been really challenging for them to really get anything done because I think a lot of the infighting that you see and everything, or maybe you don't necessarily see it, but you definitely feel the effects of it, um, happens in both the Senate and the house. And so to me, I feel like, like one of the things I've been saying to a lot of people as I've been engaging in conversations about everything going on. It's, it's not like all these Republicans are horrible people or all these Democrats are horrible people, uh, but you have to be able to sit down and have conversations with them and see the humanity in each other. And so for me, I think like as, as, as people, as American people, we need to hold our politicians accountable, regardless of what side we fall on, regardless of, you know, what issue we may be, you know, really uh, pioneering or whatever, but at the end of the day, like we have to hold it. We have to like, it's like call a spade a spade. So, so how do you, how do you, how do you call, how do you keep a politician accountable? Like how do you keep them accountable? Well, that's, they, that's have, yeah, they, they, they have all the power. Sure. Chris, sure. That's, that's a great. So, so, so you're ideally you do that by you voting them out. But Mike, I think you hit on something that's important in theory behind closed doors. They they'll tell you how they right. go out in front of a TV camera. The dogma of yeah. the political party requires that they toe the line, 
And what True. I'm saying uh-huh. is I think people are getting to the point where they're no longer interested in the political dogma of it. They just want to see things get done. And so the best example I can give you is to say Biden is looking at Republicans saying, yes, I know we have spent the equivalent of World War II on Corona already, but I'm telling you we haven't done enough. I need another two trillion dollars. And if you're not willing to come along with me, then I'm just going to ram it down your throat. And all of the Democrats are going to be expected to toe the line even if they don't necessarily agree with it. Or you're going to have Republicans that realize, you know what, this isn't enough. People really are struggling, but I can't be seen in public supporting you. So I'm going to say, this is what I can offer. And I think people are just to the point where like, miss me with all that bullshit. I need this stimulus check because I'm struggling through no fault of my own. And until our right. politics evolves to that place where we get rid of the dogma, when I know that sounds impossibly naive on both sides, but if we could get past the dogma of it all and really create right. something that everybody can live with, then I think we get to that place. But the practical side of me says, as much as I want to believe that, I just know it's not going to happen, but we need more of that interjected in our politics. Sure. And to add to add one more thing to what Mike was talking about, you know, different cycles and different, you know, who's in House, who's in Senate. It's interesting to watch because if I recall, when Obama first took office, he had a Democratic controlled everything and yeah, still couldn't get and, sti- and still couldn't get a lot of things done. And the thing is, is I think you see this on both sides, no matter who's in power, there becomes so much infighting within their own party. They eat each other alive that they can't ever agree on things, even if they have complete control. It's not like they just get a pen and they can write whatever they want because their own people will say, well, I don't agree with that, which is great. Well, that's what we said. That's what we sent them there for. We want them to disagree and look out for our needs. Well, Joey, oh, yeah. and, I, and I, I think the best example of that, Joey, is they're trying to push $15 minimum wage at a federal level. And you've got someone like Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat senator from West Virginia, yeah. saying, no I can't way. sell that back home. Like $15 to you in California or Chicago or Oregon or wherever isn't the same. I might be able to get on board with $11, but 15 is a bridge too far in a state that doesn't have the type of um, revenue generating income that other states have. And I just think you just can't slam something like $15 down your throat, especially if you're a small business, because – that might make or break you because ultimately yep. you're just going to pass that on to the consumer. And if your consumer base doesn't have a whole lot of money to begin with, that $4 difference is a lot for some people. And I just don't know that people really think through it when you make some sort of sweeping generalization like that saying we have to do it and we have to do it this way. And this is the only way. And you know, what's interesting with that? I do not hardly ever agree with Bernie Sanders. I mean, that's just something I just, he's way to the left of, of where I want to be. But the bottom line is he said, he goes, I, I think $15 an hour is where we need to be, but we need to do it in tiers. We need to do it yeah. like, okay, we'll increase to a point. Like in the old days, I can remember, I mean, God being a kid and you're like, I remember where it was in the workplace or whatever, you know, getting that first job, it would tell you. On this date, minimum wage goes to this. On this date, minimum wage goes to this. Well, why don't we just do that? Let these businesses catch up. Let them get their feet back under them, get back into a regular mold. We get past COVID. 
then maybe slowly start increasing wages more. I mean, that makes sense to me. Okay, we're going to take it to 10 right now, and then we're going to go to 12. And then we're, you know, I think that gives businesses a chance to catch up. Going back to keeping politicians accountable, you you know, it's it sounds easy, right? You just vote the right ones in. But the way it's become now, especially with, you know, if, if you're in the House or the Senate or congressman, you've got an unlimited term for the most part, right? Like you can just keep getting voted in over and over and over again. And once you've gotten in, then it just becomes a marketing game. So if you are really good at marketing and you're really good at presenting yourself, you just keep getting in, even if you're not that great. And Chris, term limits, term limits, term limits. Especially if you look at how house districts are drawn up, they're gerrymandered to hell in in a way in which if you were to pull that yeah, up on a map, you'd say, who in the hell drew this district? And both sides are guilty of drawing the districts to their benefit. But some of them are so far out of whack that it just doesn't make any sense. But by doing it that way, you guarantee that that district's always going to lean this particular way. And I think if we want better out of our politicians, we've got to redraw these districts in a way that's much more fair and equitable. So, for instance, there's parts of Franklin County that are represented um mostly by someone who might be Democratic because the way it's drawn, it encompasses most of Columbus. But then you'll have pockets of Franklin County that are also in there with like Newark and Granville and Zanesville and and, and Coshocton and all these other places. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Do, the, do, my, do, do my values really, are they really reflected in the person that we're sending to Congress? Because of the way you guys drew the map, I don't know that that's necessarily so, but because state legislatures control that every 10 years with the census, now who you vote for at a local level matters. That's definitely part of the problem, but I still think the bigger part of the problem is term limits. I think if you said, let's just use an example, 18 years. 18 years tells me, let's say a lot of people start in the House, right? Okay, you got three terms there. You can do three terms in the House, and then you got a chance at two terms in the Senate. After that, you're done. You either accomplished stuff or you didn't. And I think that's, I think for me, that's one of the biggest things we have to reform more than anything else because you got people sitting there doing the same thing. I can't remember what movie it was, but they, they, there's a, a saying about, you know, I'm, I'm good at doing the Potomac two step. Okay. <laughs> and that's what goes on. These people, all these people who've been there for 30 years, they know how to do the Potomac two-step. They can, they know how to yeah. get around everything, and you need well, to Joey, put fresh people in there. Yeah, so I agree. Point. I don't. I don't want. I got to be careful about how I say this because I don't want to come off as someone who's who can be accused of ageism because the old people are doing amazing things every day. I but agree. Na- Nancy Pelosi's like in her eighties, right? Like at some point, it's like you know, come on. You know what I'm saying? Like there are very smart, there are a lot of smart, talented people. That's why I think on some level the election was a little disappointing because we're choosing between two men in their 70s. And almost 80. Like at some point it's it's like I get it. Like you went through the primaries and this is who the people decided who they thought was best in terms of who could win the election. But to me, it's like, come on, man. Like, like, like I'm really picking between two old white guys that are almost 80. Like we this is the best America could do. Like this is right, a, right, this is, right. 
this is the kind of place where I could eat sushi on Monday and Mexican on Tuesday and Italian on Wednesday and barbecue on Friday. And yet mm, I'm picking preach. between two and I'm picking, <laughs> picking between two old white guys that are almost 80 years old. Like well, we, you know, I we, think we can and should do better. I think well, I think that's why so many people, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, I think a lot of us felt excited about Obama because he was what, I think 50 when yeah. he when he took office. So, I mean, I think a lot of people were excited about that because we had someone in our age range looking out for us. And is this person going to, you know, be that person? And I think that's what needs to happen instead of putting people that are 75, 8 plus. I'm not I'm agreeing with you. It's not to say that someone who's of a certain age can't do the job. Right. But I, well, I, I think. Go ahead. Keep going. No, I'm done. Go ahead. No, the only thing that well, I was going to add to all that, though, I think going like when we're thinking about everything going on, like if you look at like the primaries, both in the Democratic and the Republican, like those have kind of turned into just basically like these almost like uh, UFC brawl night <laughs> where like yeah. you hear them saying so many nasty things about people yeah. in their own party. Right. And then all of a sudden one of them gets a nomination and they're like, oh, man, he's such a great guy and everything. But then you have video evidence <laughs> right. of them, like, calling them, like, a whatever. And we just I all think, accept I think, it, I like, oh, it's part of the primary. And, right, uh, right. So right. so people see that. People see that, and they're just like, man, you guys are a bunch of two-faced, like, you know, yep. whatevers. And then I think the other thing that needs to be addressed when we're talking about the election, I mean, it's it was painfully obvious the last two election cycles, both before Trump and this one, that we've got to do better at figuring out how to do an election. I yep. mean, I do not understand, like, we are supposedly the greatest nation in the entire world, and you're trying to tell me that we can't get organized and there's not brilliant, bright people that can yep. come up with a system that counts votes and gets it in, and we're not doing these, like, you know, uh, well, you know, Mike, back, Mike, back Mike, room. Mike, Mike, <laughs> I got an answer for you, and this is the simplest answer. You ready? I give it to the simplest answer. If it is a federally held office like president, it should be it should be done and handled by the national, by the federal government. Let them handle it, because that is that is something. Because what happens is every state's got all these different rules, all these different voting systems, all these and things get screwed up. And then people start doubting the integrity of it. So I think if it's handled on a federal level for an office like that, I think if you're handling your own state, handle your own state. If you're sending your own people to Washington, you handle that, okay, in the state. But as far as a presidency, that should be done, something that the feds take care of. They should handle that, have a voting system in place for that, and that's what we do. Now, maybe they have the guidelines for it. Maybe they provide the machinery for it, and the state election officials handle it in those places during election time. But it needs to be handled by them. That way, as Americans, I think we'll all go, okay, I understand this worked. It's it's working good. It can't be – one side is doing some dirty dealings here or whatever. And I think you take that all out of the equation by doing that. I think the other thing, too, is I, 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 I think in 2021 at this point, there's no conceptually we all should be able to just vote from our cell phones. And we shouldn't have to wait until the second week of October when early voting starts. If I know who I want to vote sure. for in August, then let me vote in August and let me be done with it. Um, but the problem is we've got. Well, first of all, and this is our detriment, or this is our problem as Americans, because I, I, I we, disagree. I think we, I think we should make where Americans wait 
you know, because so you never know, something could change your mind. Yeah, you okay, get some more information. Enough. Okay, yeah. fair, fair enough. I think that's fair. Um, and and I don't know, I don't know if I totally agree. Like every American should just be able to vote from their cell phone. That's too easy to cheat at. I think. The, yeah, that that well, would be very I, I hard. Got to be. Yeah, I, I got you. I think there's got to be guardrails about it. You've got to put processes and governance in place around it. But I guess at the end of the day. One of the things that is something that doesn't make us, that prevents us from reaching our full potential, and I admit willingly, this is a double-sided coin, so, is that for all the, of the tradition that we cling to as Americans that make America, America, there are certain things that we cling to, I feel like, that also prevent us from re reaching our full potential. And I think this idea of how we vote and when we vote is one of those things, because honestly, and a lot of this is because of COVID, but I've done it in the past. Voting by mail, I thought was fantastic. I did. Oh, I, lo I love it. I mean, I agree. I, I agree. If it, if, it, if it not open, though, I mean, I think if it's a kind of thing where you go on, you, you fill out your stuff, the stuff comes to your house, you, you're proven who you are. I'm good with that. I'm okay. not good with people with people in a neighborhood having somebody telling me, oh, I had three things show up in the mail and I had this show up. And I mean, I just oh, think that the, yeah, there needs to be, be a better, better system. Like here in Columbus, how people were getting mailed the wrong ballot, like right. things like that, Joey. Yeah, I agree. You got to clean that sort of stuff up. But it, it, and, and truthfully, this is the way the world is going. So because of covid like now, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Salesforce has decided that they're giving people three options now when it comes to work. You can come in the office four or five days a week. You can come in the office maybe once or twice a week, or you don't have to come in the office at all, but it's your choice. And what I'm saying is we should give people more options in terms of how, they're, how they want to vote, provided we have the proper safeguards in place to ensure that, you know, we're not, you know, we don't have fraudulent voting. Although I'll say in this previous election, for all the talk about fraudulent claims and this, that, and the third, when you went to court to try to prove it, there was no evidence because it didn't exist. People voted and didn't vote twice and didn't vote for dead people and all of that sort of stuff. And when you found some of that stuff, it was explainable. Oh, this happened because of this reason. And I think we got to get away from this narrative of, oh my God, if everybody votes by mail, everybody is going, There's we can't trust anything because you just don't know. No, we've been doing this for a long time, a lot of states. In California, don't you guys get mailed the ballot automatically? Isn't that how that works out there? Uh, I don't know if it's automatically, but I mean, I've been doing mail-in voting for, so, I mean, as it long might, as I've it, lived here. It might be automatic. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not you know, sure. Can I circle back real quick and say my original statement was, I think if it is handled, uh, a presidential election is handled on a national level by the federal government, I think that would alleviate a lot of our concerns. How it's done, whether it's by mail, whether it's by, because I truly believe that the federal government's in charge of doing it, they're going to do it right. And I think when you continue to have states just continuing to handle it on their own for the presidency, I think you're going to continue to have problems moving forward. Are you Bottle. advocating for federal oversight? Are you becoming a Democrat? Uh, no. <laughs> what did I say? I said I am a moderate. I like. I don't believe in all things conservative. I don't believe in all things liberal. I just I'm a person who says, look, if it that to me, common sense tells me this is taking political out of it. 
Common yeah. sense tells me that's the way to handle it. Yeah. Bottom, I mean, yeah. Common, common bottom, sense. I mean, bottom line, I feel like we're never going to get the most perfect systems to alleviate all of these issues that are going to come up. I think, nope. I think what Mookie said earlier, until we get to the point where we have better conflict resolution skills, where we can embrace differences and be okay with with a conflict having a different point of view and then getting to a point where you can find middle ground you know a moderate view um come up with a compromise but instead our parties they're so divided you know the republicans they're going to stand for what they stand for the democrats they're going to stand what they stand for and then nothing's going to get done and in past history past history it was never like that was never like that in the past and, and yeah, I think our country is more divided than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Yep. And, and one of the other things that we talked about at Gatsby's was coming up with more parties. I, I like that idea as well, because then there might be an opportunity to, to find some more middle ground. Well, yeah, uh, but- I, I, I think I, I really do think, depending on how this impeachment thing goes, that I could absolutely see Trump breaking off and saying, I'm going to start my own thing. Or I read an article today where people at a state level in droves switched their registration from the Republican Party based on what happened on January 6th. So there's a there's an opportunity there, Chris, I think, um, especially for moderate Republicans who really do believe in being fiscally conservative and really believe in that sort of um, being, um, accountable for your actions, like that Mm -hmm. sort of, like to me, the John Kasich, George Bush type Republican. I do think there is an avenue for that type of Republican to break off, if you will. And they by default become the center. And then from there, every deal that gets cut has to go through them. So they sort of balance out any sort of progressive that, and if that Here's happens, the thing. they freeze out the Trump wing and we do get a measure of hopefully of progress that's measured in a way that perhaps doesn't go as far as what progressives want, but also isn't nearly as conservative as what some conservatives want. Don't be surprised, though, that even if they get this thing done and they keep him from ever running again, don't be surprised if it's not Ivanka in 2024. Do not be surprised. Yeah, because that name is going to carry big with a large group of people. And if they can just swing another 10, 15 percent more with her, especially I, I, I still I'm still going with Bill Withrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Bill, know. 2024. He's got my vote. Yeah, yeah I'm on, I am in totally. So in. So speaking of knocking on doors, um, what do you guys, what do you make of, of um, big tech's impact on free speech? Because I'm, while initially I, I felt like Twitter did the right thing by banning Trump, at least in the short term, um, because you just can't, you just can't threaten public safety. Like it's a non-starter. Your First Amendment right doesn't, doesn't protect for that. But there Correct. is something that I'm not comfortable with about the idea. And again, this is coming from someone who doesn't want more law and more regulations, but I'm I'm not comfortable with the idea of them unilaterally making a decision 
um, that felt very knee jerk. And I'm sure they've got some level of policy around when they do it. But it just feels to me that Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and all of these social media platforms, to me, feel a lot like a utility. If you think about the way you go about your life and how you interact with people, in my mind, Facebook and Twitter are utilities and they should be regulated as such. But in that instance, I'm okay with it. They've gotten away from a couple of things that's the reason as to even why we signed up for them in the first place. And they've let it to get to a point that, I mean, look, I think you're asking big tech, and this is going to open up a whole other conversation probably for another podcast for us. But, I mean, because I'm going to have to roll here in a few. But, I mean, Me my, whole, my whole thing is is that when they went and shut down Parler, that to me, just to the average American screamed, you are just trying to shut down your competitor because they're getting in your Wheaties. And that's exactly yeah. what they did. And that was that was a place where I think people felt comfortable, who especially were conservative, can go say what they want to say. And I mean, all of a sudden you shut it down. And that's ridiculous. You shouldn't do that. And the other part is the influence they had on the election was out of control. And that should never be allowed to happen. It should algorithm. never be allowed. And I should in California, speaking of law, California has a new regulation that's either proposed or they're about to enact that basically says you have to take all discrimination out of the algorithm. I well, that's pretty much. Florida's Florida's going to do something too with uh, blocking them from being able to do that. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, probably will become sense. a national norm for most states because you shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the idea of them silencing speech makes me a little uncomfortable. Even yeah, because yeah. The First well, Amendment, <clears throat> Amendment protects speech you don't like. I agree. I right. I I, th- I think the majority of Americans, you know, they're they are going to be able to weed through. The truth, right? Let let us be adults. Let us make adult decisions. Let right. us form our own opinions. Don't just say, er, you know, this isn't true. We don't agree with this because it, you know, some of the things that it was it was totally off or whatever. I mean, obviously, if it's endangering people or whatever, right. then Agreed. yes. But if it's not, and if it's a lie or whatever, let the people figure it out. Let them be adults. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yep. totally. I agree. One yeah. last thing before you. One last thing before you guys go. Um, what do you think? What do you think America looks like post COVID? Oh man, that's that's like a whole. That's a whole nother podcast. I, I, <laughs> yeah, dude. That's we're talking. I, I I know right now. I don't have time to go into that. But uh, if you want the brief answer, I mean, I think you'll see some return to normalcy. But I think a lot of people are going to stay very guarded. Because who knows what's coming next? Uh, I was joking the other day about, you know, a lot of times just on a day-to-day basis, I always have a gator and I use that for coverage most of the time, uh, depending on where I'm at. But I even joked about how I'll probably continue to wear that most of the time anyway, because the flu and colds and who knows what else. So I think certain things are always going to change because of that. My biggest fear is post-COVID, as long as this is taking, is what effect it's going to have on small business. And that that's the yeah. biggest problem. Yeah. So I, I still yeah. I still think we've always bounced back. We've always adapted. We've always overcome. We've always been the most innovative nation in, in the history of the world. And I don't think it changes going forward. But I think well, I think it's I think at some point we will be better from this. But Copa, I, that I honestly do. I do too, but I also say, but that was a lot of those times where we've had such horrific, like somebody earlier brought up 9-11. I think it was Moog. 
Yep, yeah. absolutely. You know, the thing about 9-11 that was so the good thing that came out of it was for a brought couple, us together for a two or three year period. We were all Americans. We were we yeah. we it wasn't negative, anything bad. It was like you were there for your neighbor. You were there for people you didn't even know. You know, yeah. and it, it, we don't live in that world now. Hopefully, yes, maybe this pandemic will do that for us. That'd be nice. Right. But so far, we've not seen that at all. <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 do, I do think there's a shift. I think people are now sick of the, the politic banter, the back and forth, the us versus them. Pe- people want to see politicians come together more than ever before and it's not true. be so dis- decisive. Yeah, right. that, that is true. I, I think that's going to snowball. And then get out yeah. of the dogma and, and just do right by people. The only thing I think that happens for sure once we get past COVID is I just think America's going on a massive level of spring break for like 12 days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. You're, you're, you're going to see more drugs and more sex and more all <laughs> guilty pleasures of the yeah. world. Hey, man. I'm living that. I'm living that spring break life 24/7. Yeah, so here you are. You are pre-COVID, post-COVID. That's right. Party, party like a rock star. Party that's, like a rock star. That's right, man. I, I got, I got, I got one more thing to add. Just, to, I, I, I'm in agreement with all that. I think small business definitely, like, I don't know. Oh we'll yeah. See. Like that's gonna be that's gonna be a tough pill to overcome, but we'll see. Uh, but I am optimistic. I, I think I, I hear what Chris is saying. I do think like we can bounce back. But here's the one caveat that I'll throw in there is being somebody that has worked with young people for the last two decades now, college age, high school, yeah. middle school kids. The effects yeah. that I have seen in the last year have on not only like the social impact, but the mental impact that I've seen it, the toll that it's taken. Yeah. Uh, now, there's also been a lot of sil- there's been a silver lining too, where families or actually spending more time together. But the reality is like, I, I, I guess I am cautious, uh, like as, as the adults in the world, we need to make sure that we are pouring into our young people. Cause those are the guys, those are the guys and girls that are going to be coming behind us. And right now, just the landscape that we got right now with the young people. Oh man. I mean, so what you're saying wait, is wait, 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 shit wait, show. We're, wait, we're adults. <laughs> We're adults. I mean, most of the time. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is mom of therapy is what you're saying. In addition to let's not get too hedonistic in the next twelve in the in the twelve to eighteen months post COVID. Right. Right. When, when, when I'm saying it, it's on us adults to basically be responsible to make sure that, you know, like we're calling out the crap in our own lives. And we're taking a responsibility to lean in and to help other people, to be peacemakers. Uh, like, and that's an individual choice, right? But yeah, I just think for the next generation, like they're already here, and just the effects that everything's having uh, on them. Yeah, my my hope, my hope is that uh, as adults, we do a better job of that. Yeah. And with that note, I got we, I got a jet, boys. All right. Let's well, do this again. Guys. Yeah, we'll do this again. Thank you guys for jumping on, and uh, we'll do this again real soon. This was fun. All right, awesome. man. Yeah, man.